Welcome to the world of digital sound. Hey there, good people in the internet. Welcome, welcome. This is Ken. This is a Ken Burton Show podcast story for Christmas 2019. Um, God knows how many of these have I done now. I must have been doing these for about, oh Christ, 10 years. Something like 10 years. Um, quite funny thing, actually, but um, a couple of guys at work discovered that I do these podcasts. And um, having to kind of explain <laughs> what these are all about is a bit of a fucking nightmare, to be honest. Um, some people just literally will not accept that they are fiction. I'm holding up my quotes in the air here. Um but, uh, you know, they I don't think they grasp the fact that I can't, <laughs> I can't just, like, say all this without the disclaimers in, without having my kneecaps removed or get thrown in jail, one or the other. So I have to do it this way, right? I have to. There's no other choice. So anyway, it's coming to the end of 2019. And uh, what's your year been like, guys? What's your year been like? Um... I wouldn't say mine's been great. Um, we've had some interesting challenges this year. Health-wise, I've been fucked. <laughs> I've been fucked. And I'm just working my way through it. And uh, I'm just... Um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep my shit together. Being diabetic is a fucking nightmare in a day-to-day -day role, especially a customer-facing role. Can you imagine? You might spend three hours with a customer... Uh, one hour in, you start to have a hypo. Um, it's, um, picture the scene here. It's, uh, what, 11 o'clock, uh, customers come in. It's now 12 o'clock. You can feel your levels getting low because you need to eat. And uh, your customer is one of those that's going to be there for another two hours. And there's very little that you can do about it. You just start to feel like shit. And when you start to feel like shit, you lose your flow. And... In car sales especially, there is that flow. There is that back and forth. And you, you have to build a relationship with the person that you're talking to. And when you're in the middle of a hypo, that ain't fucking easy. I'll tell you, that ain't easy. Um, some days I go into work and my levels have been so high overnight that I actually feel like I've got blood poisoning. And um, it's you, you can't keep leaning on it. And I don't lean on it at all where I'm currently working. But you can't keep leaning on it and saying, you know, I'm sorry, guys, but today I just feel like shit. Um, I don't want to talk to anybody till 12 o'clock. I need two or three hours to get over my bad night. Um, but you can't do that. You can't do that. And it's it's a difficult balancing act. Uh, and I never get it right. Uh, I never, ever get it right. It, it's one thing or the other with me. Uh, diabetes but then I'm in denial I, I am in complete denial I will not let this control my life and the more I try and fight it the more it fucking fights back um, which is a bit of a bitch to be honest so health wise has, has been an issue um, you guys that follow the podcast on a regular basis will understand that uh, mentally um, I'm not in a place that I I really should be uh, at this point. And um, that, that's been an issue at times during this, this year. It's definitely been an issue. And those of you who listen regularly will have heard that. You, you, you will sit down, you'll listen to a podcast and you'll think, there's something not fucking right about this guy at the moment. That is, it's, you know, just a little bit weird. Uh, the only thing I will I will say to you is, um, it. I keep reading on Facebook, these people that post these things, guys, if you're going through difficulty, you're not alone, blah, 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 talk to somebody. Who do you fucking talk to? Who do you talk to? In my case, what I did discover was nobody wanted to know, right? Um, everybody treats it like, you know, Either you're making it up or um, or it's a phase, it'll pass. We all get down occasionally and all the rest of it. Nobody has any fucking idea. And of course, when I, when I got diagnosed with bipolar, um, that, that was a massive shock to me. And I struggled with it. I, I really did struggle with it. Because all of a sudden, 
my past five years of shit that I'd done came into focus and I understood it. I understood why one day I or I might spend a month as the happiest fucking nutcase in town willing to do anything I'm the guy that's going to jump in the fountain on the night out you know it's it's that sort of me and then to go from that to um put me in a box in a corner and just fucking leave me alone because I don't want to talk to anybody all right um it is difficult and and one month you're one thing one month you're another thing one day you can be one thing and one day you can be another thing it, it is quite difficult, especially uh, in my case, I, I opted not to go with the medication. I went through the Stephen Fry process of dealing with this. Uh, and he, when he got diagnosed, decided I'm not going to medicate. He tried it. It didn't work for him. Uh, he ended up feeling like a zombie. So he said, fuck this. I'm not doing it. I'm going to manage it myself. And I went down that road and I read his book. And, um, and that's how I learned to deal with mine. And I'm still here, and and that's <laughs> that's a plus considering uh, how many how many people in my position are not still here, you know, who have gone through the same thing and they're not still here, and families destroyed and and kids orphaned and it it is a terrible terrible thing. Um, so my year has been a combination of trying to deal with being diabetic, type 1 diabetic, trying to deal with being bipolar um, and also starting a new job. Um, And that's been, yeah, my first couple of weeks at that new job, I was so fucking down. I was so down. It was just, Christ, I'm surprised they didn't kick me out. But they, they, they were pretty good, actually. They just kind of they just kind of sat back and thought, well, he's quiet. He's he's a quiet sort of guy. And at the time, I was quite fortunate in that I also had a touch of bronchitis at the time. Uh, and my excuse for being so quiet was, I'm I'm just not well. And it was it was a good few weeks, if not a month, before I came out of that uh, shell and started to settle down a little bit. And yeah, it's it's interesting, but. I mean, the, 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 the whole mentally and trying to deal with things for, for all of us is a, a bit of a challenge. For a lot of people, anyway, it's a bit of a challenge. And, um, I mean, you, you t- somebody in my position that's been in middle management and earning 45 grand a year and, you know, having teams under me and all the rest of it, and all of a sudden I'm starting to take orders. I'm having to take orders from other people. Being the boss and then all of a sudden not being the boss is mentally fucking draining. Let me tell you that. And then the the there's a, a couple of sides of that coin as well. But it it is, you know, it's a juggling act, you know. And the other thing was was the um, I struggled with the YouTube thing as well. Um, and I'll I'll just briefly take you through this so that. The YouTube thing, one minute I am one of the most popular people in the country. I have got a hundred messages a day, uh, especially when I was doing partnerships. I have got people stopping me in the street to take a picture. I've got, uh, I go to an event and I tweet out that I'm at a particular booth in a, a gaming event all of a sudden there is a queue of people waiting to get my autograph and have a picture taken with me you know and i'm i'm there with the likes of tom syndicate and small beans and you know and all these guys one minute i'm with tape one minute i'm with uh scene Alice and hutch and the next minute i'm i'm zero i'm absolutely zero that was very difficult to cope with and do you know, I mean, I, I, I won't say it's on the same level, but it feels, I, I have this certain empathy with actors uh, and singers and these sort of people that have this fame and they lose it overnight. You know what I mean? The one hit wonder. And they, a lot of these people spend the rest of their lives trying to get it back. And I could have done that. 
or I could have sat back and accepted it. But it was it was really difficult. I really felt like I was somebody. And then all of a sudden I wasn't, if you know what I mean. It's it's a bizarre situation. It's a bizarre situation to be in. Um, but so so my past year has been a coping experience rather than a living experience. And the people around me are having to cope at the same time. Um, and I, I appreciate that. I I have the most supportive fucking family you'd you'd ever wish for. But it's yeah, it's been a difficult year. It's been a difficult year. Next year better be better. It it really should. It's heading that way. I mean I've laid the groundwork for a better year next year, but you know, let's see where it goes. Now I'm gonna drink through this podcast, I'm gonna smoke through this podcast, but trust me, it is well worth listening to. Let me just uh let me just start that one off the bat. Hold on, let me have a drink. Mmm. Mmm. Ah, lovely. Right. Okay. So um, <laughs> let's do the disclaimer. So all any parts of this podcast may or may or may not be true. It is up to you, the listener, to decide whether or not you think it is or it isn't. And put your comments in the comment section on the uh, YouTube version of this. Uh, now, we know this is syndicated everywhere. And uh, I, uh, I, I discovered quite by accident the other day that there were a whole load of people talking about a particular podcast on a particular forum where this podcast had been shown uh and it wasn't a it wasn't a legitimate outlet for the podcasts it was one that um some guy with a website who just basically takes everyone else's podcast puts them on there puts some advertising on and makes some money but there was a discussion on there and i found that quite by accident you got two choices if you want me involved in the conversation, uh, get onto Podbean, um, get onto Patreon. All right, Patreon is the easiest way to contact me, or YouTube channel. Okay, easy as that. Now, talking to patrons and just a bit of an update on that. My patrons, who are every month spending money on helping me get the promotion done on these podcasts. Uh, you diamond geezers, we have now got this on the desk of a particular guy, and I won't say what company it is, but it is a big, big production company. They spend a lot of money on original series, and uh, it is at somebody's desk. Okay, so we've got that far. It's taken a little while to get there. It's taken a little bit of effort and a little bit of uh, work on my part and the company that I'm working with to to get it to that stage. But um, it is on his desk, all right, or her desk. I don't, whoever's desk, it's on a desk. Um, it may just get rejected. I don't know, but it's where it needs to be. So hopefully, early in the new year. I'll be able to give you some results from that. And um, you patrons, you are the guys that are making this happen. If you want to become a patron, by the way, you know how to do it. The links are in the description. Uh, just go to the Patreon site and search Ken Burton and you can become a patron. Yay, look at that. And you'll get a shout out and your name will get used in one of the podcasts. So there you go. Hey, fun. Fact time. Hold on. Mm. Smoky. Right, okay. Uh, so, we did the disclaimer. Now, uh, all names in this podcast are fictional unless stated otherwise, okay? Easy. Uh, not that it's it's that sort of podcast, but uh, you'll see what I mean anyway. Right. So, for those of you who haven't been back and listened to a whole load of the other podcasts... These podcasts are all set in the 1980s. They are all set in Coventry. They are all around the group of lads and girls that we hung about with, the things we did, how we made a living, which was basically repoing cars and uh, doing the odd bit of you know, slightly not legal things for the family um, and who, who ran the city at the time. And... Uh, it's it's something I've described before and it's something that face-to-face -face somebody asked me about recently and they said, you know, the family. And 
I, t I, t I told this guy the name of the family. And then he went, oh, fuck me, they're still around. I said, yeah, I know they're still around. <laughs> uh, they are all now legitimate business people, I might add. But they are still around, yeah. Um, quite a few of them went to prison. Uh, I believe one or two of them died in prison. But they are still around. But anyway, we did fag end work for the family. You know, uh, bottom rung of the ladder stuff. We were the watchouts. We were the... Uh, if they needed 10 guys with guns, then they could get 10 guys with guns, you know, and that was us. Um, fuck, did we love our guns. We were talking about this the other day, actually, but so one of the lads uh, said, well, you know, in your picture, you've got your you've got your gun. What was your favourite gun then? How many guns did you have? And I was like, fucking hell, right, okay. So I had the Sig Sauser, my 9mm. I had... Um, uh, I had a couple of other guns. I had a Beretta at one point that I hated. Uh, then I had a Deagle, right? Desert Eagle. And it was a 4.5 ACP, um, which he was telling me there was a 50, but I, I had the 4.5. And uh, my, my Deagle served a purpose. It was too fucking big, right, to carry around. <laughs> it wasn't what I was used to. It was too big. But fuck me, was it intimidating? I mean, if you pulled that thing out, people knew that they were going to die. Okay, easy as that. Or there was a potential of somebody dying. You pull out a Deagle, people know you mean business. You pull out a 6,000, 9 mil, and they're thinking, no, I could probably survive a 9 mil round. I don't think I could survive a 45 hollow point. Okay, so, <laughs> so that was... That was my favourite gun. Anyway, right. So, um, this story is based on Christmas and that we had some fucking amazing Christmases. We we had some crazy Christmases, uh, but primarily every year, the boys we, and the girls, we would all get together and say, right, we're going to go away. We wanted to spend Christmas together, but there was always, always this... Um, always this pressure to spend it with the family so but we we kind of a lot of us quite a few of us didn't have family so we wanted to spend it together so what we would do is we would book a flight somewhere and we would piss off to um future ventura tenerife or you know we we'd piss off for a weekend i went to paris one week one week <laughs> paris was a nightmare Oh, Jesus, the police asked us to leave. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't our fault. <laughs> We're smack in the middle of Paris, right? And somebody said, um, there's this place called Pigalle, which is a red light district. Let's go to Pigalle. There's loads of shit going on in Pigalle. So anyway, we, um, we walked for bloody miles across Paris. Mm. And we got to Pigalle, and uh, first thing that happened is that we're walking down the street, and there's maybe eight of us, and it was all blokes uh, on that particular trip, and um, we were just down from the Moulin Rouge, <clears throat> and this guy comes up, this this fucking great big Rastafarian bloke comes up, and he opens his coat, he's got fucking packets everywhere, drugs. And uh, he starts talking to us in French. Now, you know, we, we couldn't speak French. A couple of words, maybe. Est-ce que vous avez un problème, monsieur? You know, that's about it. And um, the, this guy's opened his packets, uh, and we, like, just ignored him and, and just brushed him aside, which obviously he thought was incredibly rude. And he signalled over to two guys that were, were stood outside this building. They came over and they stood in front of us and they were quite intimidating big fucking guys. And uh, we said, look, we don't want any bother, mate. We don't speak French, all right. And we went to brush past them and one of them pushed one of the lads. Well, oh, for fuck's sake. Three, three guys taking on eight people is... <laughs> they think was going to happen i mean <laughs> the, 
the first one that the first one that pushed uh, one of the lads, his arm was grabbed and very quickly pushed up his back. He was kicked in the back of his knee. He went down onto his knees and then <laughs> he got smacked around the face big time. And this happened in like a second and a half. The second one took a swing at one of the boys and connected really nicely with his jaw. And um, he like went backwards, didn't fall over, but he went backwards and uh, kind of holding his face and then fists and fucking chaos. It was just ridiculous. And the, the guy that was the drug dealer, he he backed off. He was like 10 yards away just watching what was happening. And his two boys are obviously going to deal with it. Well, um, for whatever reason, one of our lads ran towards him and drop kicked him. <laughs> and he hit the floor. Um, so anyway, uh, probably this lasted a minute. Uh, <laughs> fucking sirens everywhere. Oh, God. And these cops get out and they've got guns and they're pointing them at us and they're shouting to us in French and we're going no no we're English we're English <laughs> anyway <clears throat> one of these cops that when they had broken up one of these cops uh said um what are you doing you know I said well look this guy was trying to sell us drugs and they got this guy I said look inside his coat and so this copper opened this bloke's coat fucking white packets all over the inside of this guy's coat white and brown packets and uh, um you know a bit of uh marijuana in there as well and the the copper just shook his head and uh anyway they handcuffed him they handcuffed the two of us and this copper who he obviously was senior he just come up to us and he said uh it might be a good idea if you leave. I said, yeah, we're, we're going to leave. We're going back to the hotel. He said, no, no, no. You misunderstand, monsieur. We suggest you get on a plane today. <laughs> okay, we've been kicked out of Paris. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so we went back to the hotel and uh, we had a couple of beers um this copper had threatened to come to the hotel in an hour's time to make sure that we'd packed and fucked off so uh we thought well should we just go to another hotel and go to a different part of the city i thought oh fuck it let's just go and we went to the airport and they couldn't get a flight <laughs> oh shit oh man a night in charles de gaulle airport oh man it was crazy. Anyway, uh, this this is what we did, right, every Christmas. Um, and this particular Christmas is no exception. So we decided uh, in our infinite wisdom that we were going to Benidorm. And, uh, well, we sat, uh, tried to organise it, um, tried to get it sorted out. It was becoming a pain in the arse. We, t we couldn't get it arranged. It was, oh, it was just a nightmare. The travel companies are just making it so fucking difficult when there's a group of eight. Uh, and you're, you're basically a group of eight lads. Uh, possibly with the, with the uh, add-on of a couple of girls as well. But, I mean, it was just a nightmare. So what we did was we got onto a different travel company and we decided, you know, what we said to them was we want to go somewhere interesting nightclubs pubs stays up all night we can have a laugh we can have a joke and decent hotel and the the guy on the phone said right a perfect place ibiza fucking ibiza yeah let's go so um he arranged it and uh what he did was um got it all sorted and it, then he phoned us back and he said uh right they said um we've got a problem we can't get you away from birmingham airport the nearest one we can get you away from is manchester so we're like, oh, for fuck's sake, right, okay, all right, we can get a train up to Manchester, we can get a lift up to Manchester, we'll get a fucking minibus or something, all right, we can do this. So, Christmas Eve, <laughs> at eight o'clock in the morning, we all got into a minibus and fucked off to Manchester, and uh, really looking forward to our Ibiza trip. All minimal stuff in our suitcases, right? We ain't, we ain't got very much at all. 
and um, we uh, there was I think there was probably it must have been ten of us. Now with us uh, was Tom. Um, if I was to tell you Tom's story, you would start crying because it it, it makes me feel quite emotional. Um, but bullet points, Tom hung around with us he was one of the boys um but he had a problem tom dated a girl from primary school uh so from about the age of six these guys lived a street away from each other um now when tom was 17 ellie died and ellie was his girlfriend and it was such a difficult time for us. It, we, we were used to death at that point. We were used to losing friends. Um, or, or it never came as a surprise to us when we lost friends. But it, it was usually we'd lost friends because of a violent incident in the town or somebody was on a job and something went wrong. We, we lost friends. I, I buried way too many of my friends in the 80s way too many um and ellie who was one of the nicest people i think i've ever met um she had some sort of um liver problem that was undiagnosed and um for whatever reason uh she was taken into hospital and she was there for two days and before any of us could get a chance to even go and visit her she died. She just died. Um, organ failure. And we kind of rallied around and tried to help Tom. It was so difficult. He was so depressed. He was so down that it, it was it, it was almost at the point where he was never going to come back up again. But a year, two years... And he started to come out of it. He mourned her for two years. Okay. Easily for two years. And he had absolutely no interest in any other woman. At all. We would go to clubs, pubs. We would be chatting with this group, that group, hen parties. He would have no interest. He'd be polite because he was a polite sort of guy. But he would have no interest. He agreed to come with us, okay? And it was the first time he'd been away with us. So we had Tom. Um, and we all got on the minibus. We all went to Manchester. We all had a good few beers on the minibus. Uh, we were having a laugh and a joke. We were, you know. And we got to the airport. And the minute, the minute we got to the airport, we knew that we were fucked. Because it was snowing. And not only was it snowing... It was very snowing and it was <laughs> it was just no way that we were, we were going to get out of there. But the argument was that planes are clever things nowadays and they can fly without, um, they can fly in bad weather, fly by wire, they can land themselves, they can take off, <coughs> excuse me, they can take off on their own. They don't need us. Okay, um, planes are almost autonomous now, so fuck it, we'll be fine. So we all get off the, off the minibus. The minibus, it was a mate of ours, we'd hired it, and he fucked off. He fucked off back to Coventry. So we were left at Manchester Airport. So we were there two hours early for our flight. By nine o'clock at night, <laughs> we kind of realised we weren't going anywhere. Mm. By nine o'clock at night on Christmas Eve, there weren't very many people at the airport. Um, and there was just us rattling around. Uh, we finally got confirmation that there was no way that we were going to get a flight. And uh, we were actually in a departure lounge. Uh, and they'd stop people going into the departure lounge. So it wasn't very crowded at all. And there was a little bar in there and, you know, we we're having a beer. Um, and um, 
we said, right, fuck it, we're, we're going to have to stay in Manchester. Right, let's start ringing round. So we got our mobile phones out. Um, we made a couple of calls. We made a couple of calls to friends back in Coventry. Find us a hotel. Find a hotel. Um, Christmas Eve, <laughs> trying to find a hotel is fucking impossible. And we couldn't do it. We could not find a hotel. Um, and we kind of resigned ourselves by about 11 o'clock that we were going to spend the night at the airport. And then this little old lady turns up and she's cleaning. And she's just mopping the floor and, you know, she's running around with a brush and she's just cleaning seats down and stuff. And... Uh, she says to us in this in this incredible broad Manchester accent, and I can't do the accent. She said, um, "You guys waiting for a flight?" <laughs> well, we were, um, but we're not now. We're kind of trying to find somewhere to stay. And anyway, over the next sort of half an hour or so. Um, she was going backwards and forwards and the lads were talking to her and you know by uh midnight uh we decided that we were staying at the hotel although some security bloke did a, a bit of a wander around and he said they're not gonna let you stay at the hotel uh, they're not gonna let you stay in the airport overnight boys you need to find somewhere to stay um we were trying to explain to this guy we'd found every fucking hotel in manchester we cannot find a way out so anyway, Val, this cleaner, took pity on us. And she said, if you want, you can come and stay at my house. We were like, what? I said, yeah, if you want, come and stay at my house. I mean, bear in mind, there are a lot of you. You are sleeping on floors with blankets. Um, and, you know, she said, my spare room has got two single beds in it. But you can get, uh, th there'll be one of you each side and on the floor, um, one at the end. She said, but I, I reckon, you know, there's enough blankets and stuff and pillows. To, and she she said, I'll nip round to the neighbours and grab any spares that they've got as well. So anyway, we thought, okay, that's fine. We're, we're going to go to Val's. <laughs> We're not spending the night at the airport with this security guy glaring at us all night. Fuck it, we're going to Val's. And her shift finished at midnight. We met her at the front of the hotel and her house was literally probably about five minutes away. It was about two or three streets away. And two or three streets away from the airport and all of a sudden you're in suburbia. And you're in these rows of terraced houses with a little bit of greenery out the front and you know the the odd tree and a bit of parking very very council estate sort of 19 1960s 1970s council estate and um we all went into her place now the minute you open the door old people smell <laughs> all right now val was probably she was definitely in her 60s um, and she should have been retired, I would imagine. But, of course, you know, this that day and age, and even this day and age, you can't retire at 60 because no one's got to pop the piss in. So, um, anyway, we all went down to Val's. So, uh, she, she said, can I offer you guys a cup of tea when we got in? And we said, you know, have you got anything stronger? And she said, well, no, not really. She says, I've... I've got a bottle of sherry, she says, and there's half a bottle of vodka. She said, but that's all I've got. Right, okay. She said, but there is uh, a pub down the road, and they're open until one o'clock. So you might get something from there. Right, that'll do. <laughs> Leave your shit. <laughs> get together. Off we went down the pub. And uh, we took Val with us. Um, now, we kind of thought, hold on a minute, but guys, you, we're going to a Manchester pub on a council estate. Let's just go in, sit in the corner, be quiet, 
have a drink, not tell anyone where we're from, not cause any problems, and then we'll just get a few takeouts from the pub and then we'll fuck off back to Val's. So anyway, we went to this pub. Uh, didn't quite work out like that. Within, I would have said within 20 minutes, um, two of us are singing on the karaoke. A uh, couple of us are in a corner chatting to two girls. There's a bunch of lads in there who were pissed as fuck. They were so pissed. And uh, a couple of us are around them. Come and have a drink with me. Like, come and have a way you're from Coventry. Fucking Coventry. Hey, what is your toll? Come and have a drink with me. <laughs> it was the friendliest pub I've ever been in. It was <laughs> it was like meeting long lost family. It was brilliant. And we were all in there and Val's in a corner and a couple of her friends are in and she's sitting with her friends. And of course, we're buying all the drinks, right? We're not letting Val buy a drink. All her mates, a lot, we're, we're buying drinks. So we um, we basically, um, we're in the pub till one o'clock and then the guy uh, goes across and he locks doors and just says, let me know if you want to leave. <laughs> And at that point, it's a private party, and uh, we were probably there till two. We took a shitload of takeout beer with us. We grabbed Val, who at this point was a little tipsy, and uh, also her friends, who were her neighbours, and uh, we all went back to Val's. Well, we got the, the, the neighbours came around with blankets and, and pillows and sheets, and um, uh, I think probably about five of us stayed at Val's. A couple of us stayed at one of the neighbours. A few of us stayed at the other neighbours. And um, all three of the women that had put us up were all widowed. So Christmas morning comes along and um, we all got up, you know, Alka-Seltzer, as it was in those days, and no excess. So lots of Alka-Seltzer. Uh, trying to get ourselves sorted out and um, the boys came around um, and we, all, we were all with Val and the neighbours came as well and what we realised Christmas morning Val didn't have any decorations up at all she had three or four cards on a mantelpiece and I read these cards and one of them was from a daughter. And one of them was from an old neighbour that had moved south and used to live there years ago. And uh, the other one was from uh, another neighbour. <coughs> and I just remember thinking, how fucking sad is this? She's got no decorations. But then, why would she? Why would she bother? She absolutely fully expected to have Christmas on her own with with nobody around. That's what she absolutely expected would happen. And so we tried to, we tried to, like, between us, just jolly everybody up. We, um, there was a garage, 24-hour service station that was open. And uh, one of the neighbours who had a car she took us down to this 24-hour service station and we picked some shit up. We, we picked up um, some snacky things. We picked up, you know, the, the nuts and the crisps and the, all, all, the, all the rest of it. Um, and we went back to Val's house and one of the neighbours was, um, she was going to cook a, a turkey. Um, but again, they didn't they didn't have hardly any decorations up and i thought is this a manchester thing do they not do christmas in manchester but you look across the road and and the, the you know everyone else got got their fucking fairy lights up and all the rest of it and there we are with these three three retired elderly women who have fuck all because they just didn't bother well we we had 
a particularly great day. I mean, we didn't have uh, turkey trimmings and all the rest of it. What we had was a load of turkey sandwiches uh, for Christmas lunch and anything else we could have found at the service station. So we got all this shit together. The, um, the airport wasn't going to open again until Boxing Day. We knew that. Uh, so it meant another night at Val's. But Christmas afternoon, Christmas Day afternoon, there was me, um, there was Tom, and maybe two of the other guys who weren't sleeping off the drink uh, Christmas lunchtime. And we sat down and talked to her, and she told us the most incredible life story. She'd been everywhere. She'd been everywhere. She she was heavily involved in the church. Her and her husband, he was an organ player for the church. Earlier days, he did his national service. Uh, and then following his national service, he went to Africa to basically be a missionary and um, help out like orphans and villages with war-torn this and... and fucking desperate that and uh they'd be, they've been all around they've been all around africa and they they got involved in huge amounts of charity work all their life this is what they did uh he was really heavily involved with the church he was uh i think what they, they called it a lay minister but um he wasn't as far as I understood it, he wasn't the sort of guy that thrust his Christianity on anyone else. He, he was literally a very, very clever guy and bloody good with his hands. And um, he helped build orphanages. He, they went to areas where there'd been a monsoon and helped rebuild the villages. They, they went to areas where uh, there was famine and they had organized food trucks, you know, they, all of these things that they'd done. Um, I, don't, I don't know, I don't know how they afforded to do it, but obviously they didn't make a fucking fortune out of it because that house was a rented council house. It wasn't, you know, and it wasn't as if they had expensive things around them. They, they just didn't. She had lived this incredible life and then her husband died and she had no choice. She, late 50s, had to go back to work. And so she took a job as a cleaner at the airport. And it was, it was just so sad. It was just so sad. We collectively decided that we needed to do something. Now, the, um, <laughs> the airport had already told us that they give us a refund. Uh, if we wanted to get the flights um, another day or cancel the, the trip altogether. Um, and so we knew we had that money coming in. I mean, it take a month probably, but we knew that we had that money coming in. We had the money that we'd had on us uh, that we were going to take. We were going to take to uh, Ibiza. And so Christmas night, we hatched a plan. There's fucking loads of us. There's loads of us. How difficult would it be to make a difference in this woman's life? Fix all the things that have gone wrong in the house. The spare room that needed decorating. Let's go and fucking decorate it. Everything is open on Boxing Day. We can go there first thing on Boxing Day to the local fucking home base or whatever it was or B&Q, we'll get all the shit we need and we'll go and do some stuff. The, the, the house was in disrepair and to be frank, no one should live like that, but the chances of the council coming out and doing something about it were negligible. So we thought, fuck it, let's do it. Let's thank her properly. And we had a choice. We either get on a flight, Boxing Day, or we tell the company that we're not going 
and we spend a day, maybe two, doing some work on our house. And that's what we did. Boxing Day came and we went down to the local B&Q and then we stopped off at the local co-op and back in those days uh, the co-op by the way used to sell fridges, freezers, cookers and loads of electrical goods and we're getting a load of stuff in and one of the boys said you know what the problem is we're getting all this shit in but it's not going to fit in a fucking freezer and a fridge ain't much either well how much is a new fridge right okay went across the electrical bit a few hundred quid we could have bought her a new fridge all right 600 quid we bought her a new fridge now co-op used to be a fantastic place because you you could actually just buy something put it in the back of your car and drive away with it all right <laughs> Unlike these days, you go to Curry's these days and you ask for anything. Oh, yeah, it'll be here next Tuesday. Well, I fucking want it now. So we bought her a new, um, we bought her a new fridge. We bought a turkey. Uh, and then one of the guys said, this ain't going to fit in her oven. <laughs> so, well, Let's buy her a new oven. Why not? If we're fucking doing this, let's do it. So we bought an oven. She had an electric oven. That was a piece of piss to put in. We didn't have to fuck about with gas. So we bought her a new cooker. Uh, we bought her sandwich maker. We, we bought her uh, a Moulinex Magimix. <laughs> so she can mix it up. We bought her a new cutlery set. Um, we bought her a new set of plates and a new everything. We bought everything. <laughs> and we spent a fucking fortune. I, I reckon between us, we spent two grand, I reckon. And this is the 1980s. I reckon we did at least do that. And when we went back to the house and uh, we'd had to beg, I mean, beg this guy. There was, he was um, at the co-op with a transit van, uh, taking his missus, doing some shopping. We had to beg him to help us get this shit back to Val's. But we did. He did it. We got it back to Val's. Once we explained it, he was all right. And we got it back to Val's. And um, she was around at the neighbour's. So we went in and a couple of the boys had already started stripping wallpaper. A um, couple of us worked in the kitchen. A uh, couple of us worked in the bathroom. We were, we'd bought us some new taps because the taps were all fucked. Um, and we spent the entire day doing shit. I reckon the kitchen, uh, we'd finished that by probably about two o'clock. Because uh, it did, to be honest, it didn't really take much to put, the, put all the stuff in the kitchen. And uh, we put the other stuff in the in the garden, her old stuff, ready for, um, you know, we said we'd organise some collection for it and stuff. Uh, now, what I didn't realise, Val had phoned her daughter. And her daughter didn't live far away. And her daughter was really concerned that she got these eight fucking blokes sitting, <laughs> living in her house. Her daughter came round and found Val at the neighbours and they were next door. Well, Tom was there and Val, Tom and the daughter, together with one of the other guys, were just chatting away and you know chewing the fat as you do but Tom all of a sudden it was a different Tom 
I don't know what it was about her. But she, she'd been widowed. And she had a daughter. And she didn't get out much. The reason why she didn't go over on Christmas Day to see her mum was because she couldn't afford to. She lived in a council flat that was quite a few miles away. And she'd had to borrow the money for a cab to get her to see her mum because she was concerned about all these guys that were there. Tom and Val's daughter, instant chemistry. Instant. And for me, watching it, I'm watching it over over the next few days and weeks and months as it happens. For me, that was my Christmas miracle. It was incredible to see it. <clears throat> and there, there wasn't a guy on the planet that deserved it more than Tom. Now, we finished Val's place. We finished it late on the day after Boxing Day. It took us a good two days. She was elated. She could use her spare room again. She could have her daughter and her granddaughter come and stay because there was no longer fucking mould and peeling wallpaper all over her spare room. The spare room was absolutely done out. There was even talk of the granddaughter staying over, which she'd never done before because the house just, you know, you nobody wants to put their kids in a house where there's fucking mould growing on the ceiling, right? You just don't. By the time we left that house, it was, the kitchen had been completely revamped, right? And cleaned like you wouldn't believe. We, we cleaned the living shit out of that kitchen. Redid the floor. You could see the floor tiles. Um, we cleaned all the surfaces down. We cleaned all the cupboards out. We got rid of all our old shit. Replaced it with new shit. <coughs> the, um, the window that wouldn't open the front room, we fixed it. Um, the um, fire in the front room, that was an electric fire. One of the bars wasn't working. We fixed it. Um, she now had a fridge. She now had a freezer. She now had a cooker. She had ways of making meals uh, that were quick and easy. She, she now had a stair carpet that uh, actually resembled its original colour. Um, you know, the whole of the house, we did something. There wasn't a piece of the house we didn't do something, even down to fixing the front gate that stuck. And that was our Christmas. Now we left. We had our minibus friend turn up from Coventry to come and collect us. And um, we probably left about nine o'clock at night. It was a very emotional farewell. And th there were lots of thanks and she couldn't thank us enough and blah, blah, blah. When we got back to Coventry and told people about this, there was there was this incredible sense of people wanted to be a part of it. Um, people wanted to people wanted to share in the experience. Instead of a bunch of lads going off and getting pissed, we've we've just changed somebody's life for the better. And we we all felt good about what we'd done. But there was more that could be done. And more was done. A few days later, 
and uh, Tom travels up to Manchester uh, to go and see the daughter. That was the first of many trips, first of many that she came down as well. Tom took something with him. Tom took an envelope. In that envelope was just under 10 grand. She didn't need to work anymore. With 10,000 pounds in the bank, she didn't need to work anymore. That one act of kindness by an old woman taking pity on a group of lads changed her life. Completely changed her life. And it changed Tom's life as well because um, Tom and the daughter moved in together. Uh, probably about six months after they met. And they had another kid. And Tom, from what he was to what he became, the, the difference was astounding. It was amazing. Those were our Christmas miracles. And instead of a bunch of lads just pissing off, off to Ibiza, getting pissed, getting this, that and the other, probably getting arrested, um, probably getting beat up. One act of kindness. Amazing when you think about it. Um... It was probably towards the end of the 80s that um, I heard that she died, Val. Um, by that point, they were all living in that house. Tom, the daughter, the granddaughter and Val were all living in the council house. They were really close-knit, you know. They were... It was amazing. So that that is the Christmas story for um, 2019. Um, and I'm, I can say this, I think. I can say this. The names have been changed. But that happened. That happened. Last time I saw Tom, last time I heard from Tom, um, was probably, Christ, probably 2010, something like that. I'd, I think I mentioned Tom somewhere and uh, he sent me an email. Um, just an update on where he was and what he was doing and they're in uh, Scotland now um, he's still married to her uh, they only have the two kids he's got a really good job and um, she's doing well and they've got this happy life It was it was so good to to read that. I love I love it when things like that happen. When you have you know when you have one of these podcasts, because I've talked before about you know people people that I've been close to quite recently. Um, a girl that went off to Australia that you know I haven't got a clue where happened to her. 
but it's an incredible thing. Uh, it gives you that warm and fuzzy glow inside, knowing that you, for all the wrong that we did, that there was some right in there somewhere. And on that weekend, on that few days, we did something right. Anyway, uh, it only remains for me really to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas and a jolly and happy new year. Let's let's hope uh, <laughs> let's hope 2020 is going to be a lot better than 2019 was. Um, and as long as I make it to the end of 2020, I'll be happy. But uh, we'll wait and see. This has been Ken. This has been a Ken Burton Show podcast story. And you all take care. I will see you on the dark side, guys. See you soon. Welcome to the world of digital sound. Shutting down all systems.